Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Healing Uncensored Podcast. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a holistic business coach and intuitive healer who supports empaths in creating a thriving body, business, and life. Healing my own chronic illness as an empath led me to become fascinated with energy and more specifically, all the emotional, spiritual, and holistic healing modalities that my doctor never told me about. I began to share my insights and journey online and over time built a powerful community and business supporting women who were also on their path to healing. Think of this podcast as your uncensored and no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship as a highly sensitive person. You'll get no nonsense and totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing journey right beside you. Now let's get started. Welcome to the show. Today I have the honor of interviewing Clee Irwin, who is an author, physicist, and entrepreneur who dedicates the majority of his time to quantum gravity research, an institute he founded in 2009. In 2018, just last year, Clee authored the book Pain Nation, which educates on the science and uses of CBD, which we're going to be talking all about today, and can help with countless medical conditions, including autoimmune disease. So in today's episode, we're diving deep into the benefits, science, and spiritual effects that CBD oil can have on all of us. So whether you've heard of CBD or not, are currently using CBD or not, I know you'll learn something from this episode. Welcome to the show, Clee. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to be talking about CBD today, which is uh, also a product I use in my own life. But before we begin, I'd love for you to just dive into some of the details and explain like what the heck CBD actually is in case any of these listeners have not heard of CBD. Sure. Um, so... Uh, CBD is a molecule that comes from the cannabis plant, and uh, there are two legal words for the cannabis plant, and one is marijuana and the other is hemp. And so when the cannabis plant has less than 0.3% THC, which can get you high, then uh, it's called hemp. And when it has more than 0.3%, it is called marijuana legally. But scientifically, this, the plant is still cannabis. Mm-hmm. So this cannabis plant has about 100 different cannabinoids. And cannabinoids are molecules that the human body produces, as well as 
the bodies of most animals. And the purpose of your body producing cannabinoids, which we call endocannabinoids because they're made inside the body, um, is in the 1980s, a vast system that parallels the immune system was discovered, and it is called the endocannabinoid system. And it's comprised of um, two things. It's comprised of these things called endocannabinoid receptors, which have these little molecular keyholes on them. And it's comprised of these other um, parts of your body that manufacture these cannabinoids. Um, and so then when you manufacture these cannabinoids, it, they're like keys that fit into the locks on the endocannabinoid receptors. So we might ask, all right, well, we kind of understand in general what the immune system does. So what does this endocannabinoid system do? So the function of it is to harmonize any systems in your body that are out of balance. And that, um, is, that can be understood um, as disease. So that when, two, when any system of the body is out of balance uh, and chemically, electromagnetically, uh, you can think of it as two systems in your body that are not talking to one another properly. And when that happens, that, that breakdown in resonant communication between systems in your body, when it happens on a prolonged basis, then you'll have a prolonged malfunction of that system. And when it's prolonged and you can put your finger on it, you can, you can call it a symptom, uh, a malfunction. And in other words, uh, it's how medical uh, doctors would define and label the word disease. Mm -hmm. So for example, if, you're, if, you're, if your immune system is malfunctioning by, for example, overreacting to certain um, chemicals in the environment that could even be natural things, um, it, 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 may, it may be an immune system that's chronically um, in a state of fear, just to use a metaphor, but a state of uh, dissonance where it's malfunctioning. So anyway, so, so our bodies make, make this, this, these CBD molecules um, to act on the endocannabinoid system, to balance our system when our body is stressed and out of balance. And so why do we need to take it from a plant? Just because just because the cannabis plant also produces these cannabinoids, and, but why do we need to take them if our body is producing their own? And the general um, syndrome of endocannabinoid deficiency in the modern world is because we're kind of in a grand experiment these days where the level of mental and physical stress is unprecedented for the human organism. We just don't have a historical precedent in the genetic evolution of mankind of what happens when you take, say, 3,500 different chemicals in small quantities that are known to be harmful in large quantities, and you combine all of them in a typical diet where we're getting insecticides, pesticides, you know, carcinogens that are all in these low amounts so that the FDA says, hey, it's safe in that super low amount, but the FDA does not really say about what the synergistic or, or additive effect of all of them is. So the bottom line is, you know, we, we, we're stressed from the, the chemicals that get into our bodies. We're stressed from the mental load that we consciously take on. Like if you're maintaining a Facebook network, you know, a Twitter account, a bunch of emails every day, and then you're watching Game of Thrones, a very stressful, net, <laughs> a stressful program, right? We're constantly telling our body that, that it needs to be in our minds, uh, that it needs to be on this almost nonstop roller coaster of high alert. And that is a form of stress. So most people who are living a, who are living a modern lifestyle, uh, 
can benefit from supplemental cannabinoid um, use uh, from the cannabis plant. So I hope that wasn't too detailed. No, that, that's fascinating, actually. It makes a lot of sense and definitely already brought to light a few new things for me. So my next question is, how is then the CBD different from THC in case listeners are not, uh, if they're confused about that at all? Sure. Um, so the THC acts on a different endocannabinoid uh, lock or keyhole mm -hmm. than the CBD um, molecule acts on. And so um, the THC um, has many benefits um, that have been shown um, in clinical studies. Um, but one of the side effects, or for some people, they can call it a benefit, is that it can give you a sense of a euphoric sense mm -hmm. that can help to um, alleviate the experience of pain. And mm -hmm. so it's been very effective as an opioid um, alternative. You know, if instead of taking a prescription opioid after you've had surgery, um, it's found that the use of the THC molecule is, is just exponentially safer, has no addiction mechanism. Um, and so anyway, t uh, CBD has all these other health benefits, like how it acts on, on the endocannabinoid system that we discussed earlier, but it just doesn't get you high. It's not psychoactive. So what I, I've heard this, and I'd love for you to shed some light on it, about CBD potentially being more therapeutically effective in combination with THC. And if so, is there a specific ratio that's most effective, or is CBD just as effective on its own? Um, nobody can say yet using the scientific method. So the scientific method is when you do super controlled studies, because when you have anecdotal things, you know, who knows what other factors could have coincidentally come in to contribute to that result. And so you have to be very careful with the scientific method to not, you know, just jump to conclusions because something looks pr like it probably was the result of this or that. Mm -hmm. So because the plant has been, the cannabis plant has been illegal, for so long in this country, um, people at universities who have been chomping at the bit to do you know, double-blind clinical research on questions like what you just asked, they haven't had a lot of access. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of clinical studies, mm -hmm. but not as many as would have been done if it wasn't you know, um, demonized and made illegal like it has been. Yeah. Um, so, so um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and even some, you know, some evidence in the clinical literature that there's, a, there's a, this idea called the entourage effect, which is really just to say that, hey, you got these 100 different cannabinoids that are in this plant, mm -hmm. CBD and THC being two of them, mm -hmm. but do all the cannabinoids work better in symphony, right, with a synergistic um, theory than just isolating one. So, you know, we, you know, we make CB, I make CBD products and we tend to um, believe that the entourage effect is, you know, more probable than not. Mm -hmm. And so we, we um, just extract the hemp by taking out the, um, the fiber and the water and the wax. And then what we're left in with is this resin that contains about 100 cannabinoids uh, with a lot of CBD and almost no THC because that's how the, spe the species of, this, of these um, plants, these hemp plants are. And it also contains terpenes, which are other plant molecules. So, um, so, so the, long, the short answer is maybe um, there's a synergy between THC and CBD, but it depends for what purpose, yeah. you know, because you can use CBD to treat headaches or to treat um, opioid withdrawal, or you can use it um, for meditative purposes and sports purposes because it increases um, the alpha brain waves mm -hmm. in your mind. 
And, and that's like, that's basically like what meditation or yoga or taking a walk in the park does. Mm -hmm. So some, some, some um, purposes of using CBD perhaps could benefit from a little THC in, in combination. And then maybe other purposes don't really need that. Mm -hmm. I, you mentioned several times there the use of CBD in relation to the opioid crisis. And this is something that has personally touched my life through my family very closely. And it's, it's, it can be very devastating. And so to hear you say that, it like definitely sparks my attention. And I guess I just want to ask you, like, would, like, would your dream be or I, idealized reality be that like, instead of prescribing these, these heavy duty opioids after a surgery, like you mentioned, that maybe people try a CBD first, or if they have a history of addiction, this is a, a beautiful alternative. Are you able to say that? Oh, heck yeah. There are doctors all around the country that are going to uh, this suggestion to their uh, patients. Um, last year, um, about 45 a thousand people died from prescription opioids. Yeah. Right. And if you take the amount of people who are damaged physically, it would be exponentially higher than 45,000. And in that same year, exactly zero people died from, from marijuana, the, the THC style marijuana, the stuff that can get you high. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's a, a profound difference between the two things. Not all things have an addiction mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when somebody gets high on marijuana, they're getting high on marijuana, but there's not an actual chemical pathway mm -hmm. that, uh, that is, is, the, is the medically defined addiction pathway. Um, opioids, alcohol has an addiction pathway, but it's not as strong as prescription opioids. Mm -hmm. So different things have different magnitudes of addiction um, power. Uh, THC or marijuana has just flat out zero. Mm -hmm. And um, so what it, but what it, but it, it it's even better than that. Um, it turns out that cannabinoids, apparently even CBD somehow molecularly decouple or interfere with the very opioid ep uh, uh, mechanism of addiction itself. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like you can use, you know, cannabis to alleviate your inflammation or your pain so that you don't have to use opioids. It's even better than that. It actually interferes with or decouples the opioid addiction mechanism. Mm. Mm, that's fascinating. So I feel like there's still a lot of major misconceptions around CBD and it's it, like, why isn't it legal everywhere? And why isn't this, or why is it something people still look at, look at? And even my grandfather has um, some really bad foot pain and, and toe pain and neuropathy. And it's like, there's still this fear around like, oh, is that going to make me high? And maybe it's just a lack of education and lack of understanding. It's, a, it's a weird um, mix of religion, flat out ignorance and non-scientific behavior and racism. <laughs> so um, <laughs> like, yeah, like let, let's use some historical things to put it in context. So yeah. there was, there was this period, um, so it's, it's known that alcohol causes bar fights, car accidents, liver cirrhosis, and has a specific addiction chemical mechanism. Mm -hmm. And yet it's believed by most Americans that even though it, doesn't, it does harm to society, that it's not, it's not the right of our government to play our father and tell us that just because it's bad for us, mm -hmm. alcohol, that we can't, we can't use it. And yet, and yet for a brief period, um, about a hundred years ago, an, um, an amazingly skilled lobbying group, which was called the Women's Suffrage Movement, mm -hmm. somehow convinced the Congress of the United States that drinking 
alcohol, even a glass of wine with your dinner is so unethical that it literally is a sin according to the Christian religion. And they, and they lobbied and they convinced these Congress people, so we're talking 500 people, virtually all men at that time, right? How many of those 500 men do you think were drinking alcohol? Probably about all of them. Yeah. And so did they believe in the religious um, extremism of the women's suffrage movement? No. Then how did the women's suffrage movement get them to sign a federal law into act that made it illegal to have to drink a beer or to or to have to sell beer um that's the power of lobbying where sometimes really skillful people can um subvert or thwart the democratic majority so i would say that probably you know 99 percent of america at that time probably believed that it was um ethical and okay to drink alcohol and yet a law got passed. So, so then zoom forward a little bit, um, a couple years into marijuana. So around that time, it was very well known by um, lawmakers in Congress that black people and Mexican immigrants were using this plant called marijuana to, uh, to, for recreational purposes. Mm-hmm. And they had they had no problem with it because that's them, and we and 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 that the white man's drug of choice to get a little buzz on in the evening is like a bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. But and 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 the blacks and Mexicans at that time generally didn't have the, um, the income to afford expensive distilled spirits like alcohol was much more expensive even even wine and beer than just growing this weed in your backyard so they didn't that was fine let the mexicans and blacks they're using it we know about it uh that's you know that's their thing so then um so then what happened is then in the 1960s these um you know these children of the white elite or the not not the top one percent but these well-to-do children that had the opportunity to go to colleges in Berkeley and Stanford and, you know, progressive thinking places around the U.S. So they left home, they went to college, and they, as most people do in college, start figuring out how to get high. So they'll get high on alcohol or they'll get high on something, and that's, that's just what they've done since colleges have existed, right? But it's, it, you know, in the past, it was mostly alcohol. But anyway, this generation of kids somehow really wanted to rebel against the drug of choice of their fathers. And so this first generation of college kids, instead of getting high on alcohol, like smashed out of their minds on alcohol, they started using this herb that, that, that indigenous people, Native Americans and Blacks and Mexicans were using because that seemed more cool and rebellious than to use your father's drug of choice. Mm-hmm. And they did. And that was, the, that was going too far. So within a few years of that use of, of, of college kids using marijuana, um, there was enough momentum for people like Nixon and those type of thinkers to uh, do a prohibition again. That is something that had no recorded history of death. There has never been a death recorded from it. Um, There was no known addiction mechanism. And yet, like the women's suffrage movement against scientific rationality, they made it on the schedule one list, like equivalent with heroin and and substances that really do destroy society. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there it remained since 1970 so about 50 years it was it was illegal at the level of schedule 1 which would give you you know a decade in jail yeah. you know for having it or selling it um and so the whole thing is a complicated mishmash of anti-scientific thinking religious extremism a little bit of racism thrown in mm-hmm. and a tendency of americans to not always be critical thinkers Mm -hmm. you know we'll look at a law we'll look at something that we're doing and in in you know like i grew up watching 
cartoons on Saturday morning as a 10 year old. And every, you know, every like 11 minutes of, of glorious cartoon time, I would have to suffer through about four or five minutes of TV commercials. And in every 15 minute break, there was a TV commercial of a serial with cartoon characters and magical leprechauns telling me to force my mother to buy me a box of stuff that is literally more sugar by weight than cereal, mm-hmm. like backwards. And, um, and, and, that, and that is strange. They don't allow that in Europe. Like you can't do that. You can't advertise and manipulate children like that. So, mm-hmm. and so it, we, we're not a very critical thinking country historically. We're, we're, there's been a lot of sheep behavior of just following blindly what's going on and, and, the, and the ridiculous um, 50 year um, demonization of this plant, which blocked it from medical research, uh, blocked it from helping people, helped promote, you know, a violent drug industry, helped, you know, helped get, you know, prevented people from, um, from, from, you know, from not getting addicted to, um, to opioids, right? Because if marijuana was freely used as just any other thing like aspirin, mm-hmm. you know, in the last 50 years, I can almost guarantee you we would not have had 45,000 Americans die from prescription opioids last year. Yeah. So what like led you down this rabbit hole? What, what inspired you to get so passionate? I can hear that passion in your voice and your storytelling. So what, what brought CBD into your life? Well, my life has had a funny trajectory. So I grew up very poor and I had this mission from God to make a lot of money because that's what I thought that I wanted. But I didn't really know why I wanted that Mm -hmm. other than it felt like a game to me. Like I like playing Monopoly or any kind of game like basketball because it's just fun. You know, like you're kind of trying to score points. And so there was this kind of game I played to make money um, and I did that for about 15 years cause it was fun. And, and then I kind of got bored of that and I thought, well, wait a minute, like, what can I do, you know, to serve others? You know, like what, what can I do just motivated purely by love and service? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I really started getting bored with business or making money and really interested in philanthropy. But I like to take the bull by the horns and control things because I like to make them big. And so instead of just like giving money to the Red Cross or all kinds of awesome nonprofits, I started, um, I, I thought, well, the most important thing you can do to help humanity at this crossroads in our, in our kind of evolution, like what's happening in the world, it's unprecedented. We don't even know where it's going. So I figured that the best thing is for humans to understand more clearly uh, what the hell this place, this reality actually is. Mm -hmm. And so at the very core of those questions is the notion of unification physics. You know, what is the very fabric of reality made of? How does it work? And if humanity could actually discover that as though we're, kind of avatars in a big video game and yet and then we become conscious and then we somehow manage to hack the very code of the reality that we are in if we could do that we would have a greater command over over physical reality and one of the commands that we would have is the ability to eliminate the current theory of scarcity which is that there's only so much of this or that stuff to go around and uh, we better get it all for ourselves because, you know, got to take care of our families and ourselves, right? But in the theory of abundance, um, for example, with aluminum, in the past, before we knew how to synthesize aluminum, we would find it in the earth, you know, like platinum. And, um, and it was, you know, like at it, it, it certain high society dinner events, they would have, you know, the lower class people, um, you know, having like 
bronze utensils and then the next level up would be silver the next level up would be gold and then the very highest level would be aluminum mm. because it was super super rare and they didn't know how to synthesize it and then out of nowhere some chemists discovered how to actually synthesize aluminum from other elements and overnight aluminum became the stuff that we throw in the trash with our jiffy pop popcorn yeah and so similarly with a proper understanding of the very fabric of reality, we would be able to have similar power over, over making the stuff we want. Like in the movie Star Trek, there, nobody gets paid anything because they had such command over science that if you wanted a Rolex watch, you push a button and you print it mm -hmm. in that machine that they had in, in, the, in the TV program and in the movie. And so, um, so that's what I'm doing. It's, and then, so that's what I've been doing for 10 years. So it's a philanthropy, but putting my money into helping humanity understand the fabric of reality. And so we work, that's what quantum gravity research has done for the last um, 10 years. And we're making progress. And then somewhere along the line, it turned out that by just rational deduction, consciousness somehow plays in at a very deep level into this ma very mathematical theory in a very unexpected way. Like I'm talking about consciousnesses that don't even have to be in a human brain, like consciousnesses that can be, you know, strange forms of consciousness that are not even in, in atomic or physical form um, and even vastly larger consciousnesses than us. Um, and it's a long story to explain how that, such a spiritual sounding idea ties into such a geeky mathematical approach to fundamental physics, but it does, interestingly enough. So then about two years ago, I, I allowed myself to become distracted from that fundamental mission. I and mean, there's about probably 25 people, scientists working on that, you know, in, in our group or a staff of, of 25. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, you know, I think a lot about where humanity is going and that's what motivates me to do the fundamental physics, you know, seeing if we can connect conscious consciousness and spiritual principles from energy workers, spiritually minded people, like the experiences that they have had, how does that plug in to one view of, of reality that's acceptable and plausible and reasonable that also explains how quantum mechanics and general relativity, you know, and this unification physics tie in. So CBD, um, so at the end of the day, I'm doing physics to help raise the consciousness, to use really new agey words, right? I want to raise the consciousness of humanity mm -hmm. because um, it feels like we've got to focus on that or something could go the wrong way. You know, look at all these apocalypse movies, you know, like Mad Max. Like, you know, it's plausible. The world could go to hell in a handbasket if, if, if the planets align right. And so we've got to really be proactive. And one of the most insidious cancers is a thought form, like a meme form called themism. And it's very, basically, you could call it Donald Trumpism. It's basically fear-mongering and blame. It's pointing the finger at other people in a non-helpful way and then building up stories of fear and repeating it like you're an advertising agency over and over until you get the sheep-minded people in a society to just go along because they're not critical thinkers or because they have fear in their life from trauma they've had and they just really resonate with stories of fear so anyway so cbd tends to make you a little less fearful a little more mindful a little more logical actually because it lowers the the ratio of your beta brain waves which are kind of like the emergency fight or flight brain waves mm -hmm. and it increases the ratio of your alpha brain waves which is the brain waves that predominate when you're playing with young children or walking in the park, or just reading really positive stuff. You know, just reading and thinking about positive things and being with positive people actually 
shifts your ratio of alpha to theta. Mm -hmm. So uh, alpha to beta. So CBD is sort of like meditation or mindfulness in a pill mm -hmm. at a psychological level. And then that, if, 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 it, if I can help it become as popular as caffeine, right? Or, or as popular as nicotine is worldwide, you know, then you'll literally have an average shift of the whole global conversation to be a little less beta and schizoid and a little more alpha and mindful. And how might that shift the, the, the negotiation of this conversation that we're trying to work through, which is, should we all circle the wagons in these silos and sort of take up arms against each other mentally, or should we start focusing on the glass, glass half full and figure out how to solve the problems instead of complaining and blaming? So I literally think CBD can help shift that tipping point um, if enough people get it. So my mission is to get it to people as at a low, low price. Like I'm trying to use my company almost as a vehicle for philanthropic good. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And when you talk about even just blending the spiritual with the geeky science stuff, like you are speaking my language. And there was, there was a, a line in the kit that was sent over to me. It said, why changing the vibrational energy around you not only prolongs your life, but makes you wealthier. And that just stood out to me like, mm, tell me more. And I think you, you've really hinted to, to why that could be the case, but I'd love to hear a little bit more detail. On, on how CBD. our vibrational energy yeah. helps yeah. us feel more abundant or maybe, you know, maybe get right. those alpha, alpha states. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that rabbit hole will get a little geeky. So uh, I forewarn you. Um, so, so relating that to what we've learned in the last 10 years of very um, kind of focused thinking on this, it seems that the, the fabric of reality, okay, is a geometric language or code playing itself out. So there are languages that we can have with um, symbols like letters or coding symbols in C++ programming language. And there are languages that we can have with vibrations in the air, like this conversation where we're vibrating the air in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and, and whatever symbols you use, they're meant to create pattern that has meaning to the user uh, and, to the, and to the listener. So I vibrate the air and you and your listeners are hearing those vibrations and encoding them because you've learned the language, the language of English, right? And so you, you, can, you can receive and send meaning to me. So, but you can also create, so just as sound in the air is a vibrational language that fills three space um, and it's geometric because it's in a space. You can have a geometric language in a 1D space, a 2D space. And so anyway, there's these things called quasi-crystals. And what they are is they're geometric languages. And a language is pretty simple. A language is just a, a finite set of symbols, like the 26 symbols in the English alphabet. Um, and then those can self-organize into words. And then you have these rules on how you can combine the words. Like it's against the law to say the dog ran cat. You just can't do it, it or you're not using the language. Mm -hmm. but, but there's then this other thing that makes it a language, um, which is syntactical freedom. And so I'm not forced to say the dog ran fast. I may say the dog ran slowly, right? I can choose, I can choose my, within the rules I choose. So imagine a geometric language that is just like that, where you can create dynamic patterns of shapes. And that's what a quasi-crystal is. And you have to follow the rules though. But within the rules, you have these degrees of freedom, the syntactical freedom, and you can arrange your flow patterns of these quasi-crystals in different ways to create pattern. Because meaning is just pattern. It's the opposite of noise, right? Noise is kind of like nothingness in terms of information. And then pattern is pattern, and pattern has meaning. You know, if you look at a circle, you perceive some kind of meaning. So we want to create patterns of meaning that are fundamental uh, particles that have spin 
and charge and interact with other particles according to this idea of, of, of language or creating meaning. So that's what we work on. But when you really uh, take that seriously and you go down to this quasi-crystal language that we've been mathematically working on, it turns out <clears throat> that there's these patterns of meaning that flow out and that are, that are like an energetic field, if you will, around your body. Mm -hmm. And so if you're thinking a thought like love and gratitude versus a thought like fear and hate, um, because the whole system is a complex system, then even those thought forms are impr become imprinted into whatever field you're putting out. And there's other things as well. We talked earlier about how systems in your body talk to one another, right? So you've got just billions of systems, right? I mean, you can just go inside of a cell and then you have organelles inside the cell and this, those organelles are systems and there's systems of systems of systems. And the, and the, and the total combinatorics of the way all systems of systems are talking to one another is a virtual cacophony of conversations. And if those conversations between all the systems, you can think of them as vibrations, because that's physically, with physics, that's how they talk. Electro electromagnetic vibrations, and then um, what we call fluidic vibrations. So all these vibrations can have all different um, levels of um, kind of symphonic correspondence. Like think of a, a big giant hundred piece orchestra and you can have just a couple amounts of dissonance, like the flute, one of the flute players is out of sync with somebody in the, you know, in the, in the string section, okay? But you can have all different levels of dissonance and resonance. So, so think about your energetic field in your whole body. You can keep perfecting it harmonically and harmoniously with all kinds of things, by adjusting your diet to more and more perfect levels, your mental activity, don't spend too much time uh, just thinking, spend some time thinking and another time of your day, you have to spend feeling, right? Have balance, be in an ethical centeredness in your life so that you feel you're living right by other people and yourself. Anyway, you can keep going and going and perfecting your energetic body. And then imagine that there's a real non-woo-woo, right? Because a lot of people look at this new age thinking and they say that it's fantasy or woo-woo. But, but what if it's not? Like, what if there's a new physics that just hasn't been fully articulated yet that legitimizes these things that, we've, that people like you and I have experienced? And if that's the case, then... You can do all kinds of things with, with the way your energetic body, this field around you, interfaces with others and with other places, other parts of reality, that the sky would be the limit. It's like, it blows my mind. <laughs> I think this is fascinating. And I, I believe that, like you said, it's, it's, it's that it's not woo woo. We just don't have all the details yet. And I think that there's people who, you know, as human beings, I think we're so taught to believe in what we can see, you know, like physically in front of us. Oh, I see this crystal. I know it's real. And it's like, well, what if there are, is more beyond just what that's the quantum, right? It's beyond what our eye can actually yeah it's just it's so fascinating to me and it's it's like my geek side just like is all out right now uh, good <laughs> so um i'd love for the listeners to be able to take away uh, again i mentioned before we started recording that many people listening are either entrepreneurs you know wanting to have sustainable energy throughout their day or women with chronic illness many of my my listeners have multiple autoimmune diseases or just like chronic fatigue, chronic migraine, how can they use CBD? Like I'm looking at everything you've just told me and going, oh my God, this is for everybody. But as far as those more specific niche audiences, 
how would you use it? Um, and my, my specific questions there are like dosing and then internally, topically, because when I've tried, I've tried probably three different brands of CBD now, and they, they all have different, you know, milligrams on them. So it's like, you know, 300, 1500. So I'd love your insight on that to help sure. guide us and, you know, what to, how to use this product. Okay. Well, okay. First of all, um, I wrote a book that I think is a great starting place for users to get a, a real accurate and easy, easy to read um, kind of CBD 101. And it's called Pain Nation. Mm-hmm. Pain Nation. You can find it on Amazon. So, so I take 40 milligrams a day of CBD. And it doesn't matter how you take it. Mm-hmm. You can take it in a, in a pill, like a soft gel, or you can take it in a, you know, a gummy bear or a candy. Um, if you need it for skin conditions or pain stuff that's locally, like arthritic stuff, mm-hmm. it's also good, in addition to the ingestible, to put it on topically. It mm-hmm. penetrates the skin very, very efficiently. And um, so it helps with things like psoriasis, it helps with um, hyper inflammatory response, you know, like hyperimmune response type stuff for skin. Um, and it's really good for, you know, for age, skin aging and beautifying purposes as well. Mm-hmm. So with respect to the dosages for different things, right? So if you're, if you're an eight-year-old girl and you're suffering from epileptic um, seizures and your parents have tried um, some of the prescription pharmaceuticals for epilepsy and it's not worked, um, then there's a drug that your doctor can prescribe called Epidiolex, which is the first FDA approved use of CBD to treat a disease. Or you can go to, you know, you can buy one of our products or somebody else's products and, um, and you can just take CBD in the full spectrum form with the other plant molecules because, of course, the drug companies just strip everything else out and only isolate out the CBD molecule. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, there's no one um, dose for, that I can say unless, right. unless I say for like a daily regime, I would recommend somebody start if it's just general wellness. Like I use it for general wellness. Like it helps me get along with people that, who I work with more. Um, um, people say I'm nicer when I take the CBD. Um, and it helps me focus. Like I have a little ADD tendency where if I have to read a 32 page contract, it's a little bit hard for me yeah. because I only like to look at things that are interesting, you know, mm-hmm. that stimulate me and boring things don't. But sometimes you gotta do boring things in life, right? And so it helps me a lot with that. When I'm taking 40 milligrams a day, I can focus better. Um, I can think more creatively and more strategically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I recommend people though start with 30 and then use that for about a month at 30 and and just kind of observe and then and then if you want to try bumping it up to 40, like I did, mm-hmm. then you try that for a while mm-hmm. and see how that works. Um, if you're using it to help you go to sleep at night, then you might want to take it about an hour before you go to sleep. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, there's a lot of good you know, resources out there on the internet for the, the dosage re- relative you know, to different um, conditions. Perfect. Great. Well, I just want to say thank you. I learned so much today. Is there anything you feel like we left out or you'd love the listeners to know before we do wrap up? Yeah. um, You know, I think a lot of listeners will be discouraged to find how expensive CBD is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like if you wanted to take um, what, if you wanted to take 30 milligrams you know, it, it, you'd have to buy it, it, your two week supply would cost you about a hundred dollars. Mm. And you know, if a person's not making a lot of money, you know, and they got credit card debt 
you know, paying a hundred bucks every two weeks to just have something that's helping you every day, it's kind of a lot. And, and the truth is this, this plant is a weed. I mean, it's really probably cheaper to grow than broccoli, yeah. literally. And so there's really no good reason why it should be so expensive. And so I think sometimes companies are taking advantage of the situation Mm -hmm. because they're just selling it for what they can get away with and they can get away with those high prices right now. But um, so I would say for the users, don't be scared of that. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to plug, you know, really plug our products, but if people wanted to just get something that's affordable, but really high quality, you know, that's what I'm doing because I'm not really trying to make money per se off the CBD. I'm doing it for this philanthropic reason, mm -hmm. you know, with my company. Like I own this company, you know, Irwin Naturals, but I don't work there. I work full time on this physics, mm -hmm. but I, but I can still control my company and, and force decisions. And so the decision that I forced is to sell that same bottle that would cost a hundred dollars um, from the other brands for about $30. Wow. Yeah. And, and we still make a little profit and that's all we need to make. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to like milk it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great additional information because uh, I'm sure people will be going on Google <laughs> looking for CBD now and they might get a little bit of that sticker shock. So it's really wonderful to know and amazing to see that there's companies out there like yours that are deciding to do things in a different, more philanthropic way. So again, I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for being on. And I'm sure listeners are going to have learned so much throughout this past 45 minutes. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. It's been a fun talk. Thank you for tuning in. If you love the Healing Uncensored podcast, I'd love your support in sharing these alternative ways of healing with others. The best thing that you can do is share the episodes that you love most with friends, family, or on social media. It's also super, super helpful when you rate and review the show. All of this helps more people get the information that could totally shift their perspective on healing. All right, that's all for today. I will see you next time, my loves. <laughs>